This reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 14. That's page 989 in the Bibles that are next to you. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. Now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as the pipe or harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you are saying? You will just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I am a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker is a foreigner to me. So it is with you. Since you are eager for the gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. For this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may interpret what they say. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my understanding. If I sing, I, I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my understanding. Otherwise, when you are praising God in the spirit, how can someone else who is now put in the position of an inquirer say amen to your thanksgiving since they do not know what you are saying? You're giving thanks well enough, but no one else is edified. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. But in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants, but in your thinking, be adults. In the law, it is written, With other tongues and through the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people. But even then, they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Good morning, church. It is great to see you. Uh, congratulations. You're here. We've been doing a 15-week series called Life in the Spirit. It's Tongues Sunday, and you made it. You still came. You saw the Friday email, and you're still here or you don't get the Friday email, and you're just here, and you're like, how do I get out? My coffee's a little low. I'm just going to walk on out. Uh, we are so, so glad that you're with us. We are so excited for what the Lord has for us this morning. I do know that this is a tougher topic for some of you. This may be the first sermon you've ever heard on praying in tongues. I am still so glad you're here. And I'm assuming that you, you came anyways because 
you love God and you love his word. And maybe because you, you love prayer, and this is a, a praying church, and you're thinking, I don't, I don't know much about tongues, but anything that has to do with prayer, I'm here for. Or maybe even you're not even in one of those two camps. You're like, I'm, I'm just here because this is my church family. And, and that's okay, too. You're like, this is my church. Whatever they're doing, I'm going to be there for. You know, every, every family's got that aunt. It's a little kind of a weird aunt. You, you hope you're not right next to her at Thanksgiving, but she's family. Maybe for you, tongues is the weird aunt. I'll give you one weekend a year, you know. Others of you, though, this, this, you love this because you have been praying in tongues. It's been fruitful in your life. It's been edifying and, and formational for you. You've been praying in tongues longer than I've been alive. And we're so thankful for you as well. We've said throughout the series, there, there are sometimes word people and then spirit people. And, and word people, you, you love the scriptures. You love to study. You, you walk softly and carry a big Bible some of you are spirit people. You love to sing, love to pray. You have been waiting for Tongues Week for, for a long time. You brought the purple banners with you just in case. You're like, I don't know if this is the week, but I've got a backpack with them just in case. I see you too, and I love it. Spiritual gifts are for us an exercise in church unity and, and love for one another. The Holy Spirit, one of his primary roles is actually to bring unity in the church. One of the primary uh, reasons that spiritual gifts exist is for unity in the church. And so for us as, as your pastors, we, we deeply believe in, in, a, in a certain use of spiritual gifts, that they're still valid for today. We, we deeply believe that. And yet our number one commitment is not to a particular expression of spiritual gifts, it's to unity and love together and, and to teach all that, that the scriptures have to say. And so what we're doing this week is what we do every week. We're opening up the word of God saying, here's what it says. And, and we're going to try to faithfully apply it to our lives. And so this morning, we're looking at tongues and praying in the spirit, two closely connected topics. We're going to look at the gift, the purpose, and the practice. So the gift of tongues the purpose, which is intimacy with God through prayer, give it to you right up front, it's the purpose, and then the practice, how to cultivate a more spirit-filled life of prayer. So let me pray for us, and we will get into the goodness. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. I think of Psalm 119, open our eyes that we may see wonderful things in your law this morning. You have given us this supernatural gift of, of tongues. Help us to understand what it is, what it's for, how to cultivate it. Father, would you give us a, a bold faith and also a deep humility? Would you give us a Christ-like courage, but also a Christ-like restraint? Would you grant us supernatural power, but also sacrificial love? We say, speak, Lord, your servants are listening. In Christ alone we pray. Amen. All right, let's start with the gift, the gift of tongues in the New Testament. As I said a couple weeks ago in sort of the intro to the spiritual gifts series, that there are three different forms of tongues in the New Testament. There's speaking in languages that are unknown to the speaker. 
There's uh, tongues with interpretation, and then there's a private uh, use of, of tongues, private prayer in tongues. And so we're going to look at each of those. And the first one is, is speaking in a, a human language that is unknown to the speaker. We saw this in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit descended on the apostles after Jesus' ascension. It says this, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, like a, a, a sound like a blowing of a mighty wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing people from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. And so this is the first recorded use of, of tongues in the New Testament. It's believers that are newly filled with the Spirit of God, praising God in languages that they don't understand, but that people from every nation who's, who's hearing them, they are hearing their own language. Peter sees this as a fulfillment of Joel chapter 2. In the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all people. And he, he seizes the opportunity and preaches the gospel. Now, the word for tongues here, it's the same word as tongues in 1 Corinthians 12 to 14. The original Greek word is glossa. And it can either mean a, a, your physical, literal tongue, or it can mean languages and, and dialects. But it shows up again in verse 2. Of our passage. And this is the second form of tongues in the New Testament. It's speaking in tongues with interpretation. And so if you still have your Bible or bulletin in front of you, we're going to be in chapter 14. And in verse 2, it says, anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries in the Spirit or by the Spirit. Verse 4, anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves. But only if someone interprets will the church be edified. Now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? And down to verse 12. Since you are eager for the gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. For this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may interpret what they say. And so the tongues here, these are not human languages. This is a, a unique heavenly language understood only by the prayer and God. It seems that, that every use of tongues is, is a completely original, unique language between God and the prayer. That's pretty remarkable, isn't it? The same is true for private prayer in tongues. And it might seem at first in this chapter like Paul is trying to, to minimize the use of tongues here, but rather what he's doing is writing to a very particular church that's wrestling with a very particular issue. There's a lot of tongues going on in Corinth in their Sunday public gatherings with no interpretation, and not only is it confusing, but it's causing division and conflict in the church. And so that's what Paul is, is writing this chapter into, what he is addressing and what he is speaking into. Even worse, these folks that are, are speaking in tongues in the gatherings, they're setting themselves up as sort of super-Christians. As if this is the one spiritual gift that you really want. This is the one above all the others. And so they're looking down on people who, who don't have the gift of tongues. And so Paul is rejecting that in this chapter. 
So Paul, his words here are doing three different things. First of all, he's saying no to public prayer without interpretation. But he's also saying yes to public prayer with interpretation. And in a moment, we'll see he says yes to private prayer in tongues as well. And so some churches struggle with Paul's no to the, to the tongues without interpretation. This still goes on in, in charismatic churches and gatherings that I've been a part of. That somebody will be speaking in tongues sort of throughout the whole gathering or throughout the worship or throughout the teaching. And, and honestly, it's, it's distracting and, it, and it, it's, it confuses you and it takes the attention away from what's being taught or sung. And that's what Paul is saying is, is not supposed to happen in Sunday gatherings. And some groups, uh, uh, some certain denominations will teach that tongues is a, a definitive sign of baptism in the spirit, that it is sort of a, a next level form of Christianity, which is also doing the very thing that Paul is saying no to in this chapter. And so some churches struggle with that, but I'm guessing that's probably not where most of us are at. More likely, we might struggle with Paul's yes to, to tongues with interpretation, and perhaps even with Paul's yes, just to, to the private use of tongues. And I, and I understand the, the struggles for, for some of you. Maybe you've had a, a bad experience with somebody praying in tongues or somebody laying hands on you, praying that you would receive the gift of tongues and you didn't. And there was this, all of this pressure. I've, I've experienced that more than once. Sometime last year, I was officiating a wedding uh, in town. A woman came up to me afterwards. She said, I, I loved what you had to say. And I heard you're starting a new church, and I heard you're charismatic. I was like, lady, what you've heard is true. And she said, so you pray in tongues. I said, actually, I, I don't have the gift of tongues, but I have administration, which is also pretty cool. <laughs> well, she, she literally like, took a half step back and was like, oh. And she was like appalled. She was like, I can pray for you right now, and you'll start speaking in tongues. I said, ma'am, thank you. So much, but we're at a wedding, and I've known you for 15 seconds. I'm, I'm, I'm less worried that our group here is, is going to do that, that sort of thing. I, I know that she meant well, but sometimes something like that can happen to us, and we will just shut down an entire gift of the Spirit, like for the rest of our lives. They're just seeing one misuse or a couple of misuses, and we'll just say never, never again. That's, that's not going to be me. And I wonder if, if some of us, the resistance that we can feel within us or the uncomfortability that we can feel within us just, just needs to be explored a little bit. Like what is it that we're really afraid of? There could be some, some healthy fear or concern. It could be instead that we are so worried with, with our reputation or our status or the way that we appear in front of other people and, and in a, a secular culture or a more intellectual church, this can seem like almost like lower Christianity. And I've been in very word-centered church circles where this is sort of a, this, this whole world of the spirit is considered like, like bottom level spirituality. And there really is a looking down like, Father, I thank you that I'm not like those people. I mean, that can happen in any group in the church. But I would just encourage you to just to ask the question, why? Now, as I said at the beginning, what's up, bud? You're good. There she is. As I said in the beginning, 
to my, to my word-loving brothers and sisters, this is God's word. I mean, we're working through a, a difficult passage, but this is the word of God. Paul is saying yes to tongues with interpretation, and he's saying yes to tongues as a private prayer language. And this is the same Paul who wrote Romans and Ephesians and Colossians and Galatians. Like all of the bangers, those are his. He's got some like deeper cuts from, you know, from like earlier in life that you can also check out. They're also the word of God. I mean, the one who's saying, I praise God that I pray in tongues more than all of you. That's the same Apostle Paul. He doesn't just use words flippantly. He's not easily like blown around. Verse 18, he says he prays in tongues more than all of us. He says in verse 39, do not forbid speaking in tongues. And then he actually reminds us in this chapter in verse 37, I think this is the only time he does it in the New Testament. He says this is not just his opinion, this is the word of God. I mean, it's a, it's a powerful way of saying, this is not just coming from, from me, human Paul. This is coming from God through me, the apostle Paul. And so if we're going to be word-centered, which I hope that we are, we have to realize how spirit-filled the New Testament is. I mean, Paul is, is wildly pro-tongues. Now, on, on public tongues with interpretation, I, we see Paul's yes here, but, but how it's practiced, I believe, is a, is a matter of wisdom and of sensitivity, pastoral sensitivity in the local church. It, it doesn't come to us as a command, but more of, of a source of permission. So if you're wondering what, what might this look like at Trinity, I honestly don't see us doing tongues and interpretation in one of these Sunday gatherings. And yet I still think that it's appropriate in some gatherings. I think it's perfect in smaller gatherings in the church. Most of the early church gatherings that are, that are in biblical times in the first century, these are very small gatherings taking, places, taking place in people's homes. So while I, I don't know that we're going to do that here at Trinity, we have to see the yes that Paul gives to it. Now the third thing is, is private prayer in tongues. We've already heard verse 18. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. And he's setting up a contrast. But in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Now, Paul doesn't say as much about the, the private prayer language of tongues as he does uh, about the other uses of tongues in church, because that's kind of his, his primary message in the chapter. But he is absolutely saying yes to praying in tongues in private. He wants us all to pray in tongues. Now he says in, in chapter 12, verse 30, that not everybody will receive this gift of tongues. And so when he says, I, I thank God that I, I speak in tongues more than all of you, and I wish that all of you would pray in tongues, it's a way for him to say, I, I wish that all of you could experience this same spiritual gift. I know that it's, it's not going to happen like that, but if it was my will, that's how this would happen. He's urging them to cultivate the gift of tongues, to remain humble and to be content if they don't receive it, but yet to pursue it and to cultivate it. Now, there's another element here that I want to I draw out. It's not from our chapter, but it's, it's praying in the Spirit. 
And Paul says in Ephesians 6, verse 18, right after talking about the armor of God that we put on against spiritual warfare, he says, pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Pray in the spirit. Similarly, Jude, uh, book of Jude, verses 20 to 21 He says, but you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we have this phrase, praying in the Spirit. And uh, a lot has been written on this. Again, all of these sermons, I feel like, are just sort of flybys on these topics. We could go way deeper. But I don't think praying in the Spirit and, and tongues are interchangeable. I would say that praying in the tongues, because it's, it's commanded here, really, in Ephesians 6, this is something that's an invitation to all of us, whereas praying in tongues is a spiritual gift that some will receive and some won't. And so praying in tongues, I see as sort of a, a, a subset of praying in the Spirit. It's one of the ways that you can pray in the Spirit, but you can also pray in the Spirit without praying in tongues. Does that make sense? And so what is praying in the Spirit? I would say it seems like praying in the Spirit is a a deep, worshipful, experiential form of prayer. It's a type of prayer that that goes beyond the prayers of the mind. It's a prayer of the heart. It's it's spirit level, almost like gut level prayer. You've probably experienced this when you've been praying. I mean, most of the time when I'm praying, I feel like my mind's kind of bouncing all over the place. I usually journal my prayers so I stay a little more focused. But sometimes I just begin to, to just feel God's presence with me, I become overwhelmed by God's love for me. Often I just find myself so incredibly grateful, so thankful for God's presence, so thankful for my salvation. My kids could be screaming in the other room and I'm like, I'm even thankful for them right now, just overwhelmed with gratitude. And I feel like I'm so close to the heart of God. And I think that's what praying in the Spirit is. It's when the Holy Spirit draws us into the experience of the presence of God. We always have the presence of God, but there's a nearness and a a manifestation of the presence that we can feel more powerfully in the Spirit. Now, you might say, well, I don't know about that. That feels dangerous because you're saying there's a prayer that goes beyond the mind. I mean, we should never do anything where our minds are are not engaged. That's like new age cultish kind of stuff. And to that, I would say I don't have a great response, but a friend of mine does, and his name's the Apostle Paul. Here's verse 14 to 15. I pray in a tongue, or if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful or even unengaged. I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my understanding. So Paul is saying there's a type of prayer and there's a type of worship that is, that is almost outside the realm of understanding and of the mind. It's a deep, experiential, soul-level connection with the Lord that he's saying he barely understands it. And yet, as he said in verse 4, the one who prays in a tongue edifies himself. And that's a good thing. We're, we're commanded to build ourselves up in the faith. And so he's saying prayer, there's a type of prayer that is edifying even though we don't fully understand what we're praying or, or what we're experiencing. He's saying that's still a good thing. And that's praying in the Spirit. 
Now, for many of you, that's going to mean praying in tongues during that time. But for all of us, we want to cultivate this praying in the spirit. Now, here's the second thing, the purpose. The purpose of all of prayer, but specifically of praying in the spirit and praying in tongues. And the purpose is intimacy with God through the spirit. I can safely say that's, that really is the purpose of all of prayer. It's to grow in our relationship, to have a more intimate relationship with the Father through the Holy Spirit. Man, we are a praying church. This is so central to who we are as a people. People ask me this week, what are you preaching on? I say prayer. They say yes in tongues. Oh, boy. <laughs> but we are, we are a praying people. We, we love prayer. I think you would only be here after some amount of time if you were wanting to grow in your prayer life. We've actually had people visit here and then join another church and then tell their friends the prayer stuff was a bit much. And that's how we know we're kind of on the right track. We want it to be borderline uncomfortable how much we pray. Friday night prayer, we had like 50 to 60 people there crammed into this house. It was like 90 degrees at the end of it, but it was incredible. And man, I love that my boys are growing up thinking that's what a normal church prayer meeting is like. I mean, in my adult life, I've been to a lot of church prayer meetings, like max five people. They think this is normal. They're growing up thinking church prayer meeting, everyone's going to be there, all of the leaders, it's going to be phenomenal. God's going to be moving. That's what we're trying to cultivate here. But one of the reasons it's so hard to pray alone with others in the church, we we are in a culture that makes prayer very, very difficult. Living in a a secular culture where where everything has to be described and measured and, and defined, that anything that seems supernatural just seems like it can't possibly be true. That makes prayer so difficult for us. And I think that's especially at play with praying in the spirit and with tongues. I mean, we feel, I often feel so sheepish sometimes when when I'm engaging with somebody outside the faith in in questions about Christianity. And and there's times where I think we all feel that. It's like, they might say like your your views on gender and sexuality, they're they're so regressive, they're, they're, they're so weird. But the more I've thought about it, the more I'm like, that's not even the weirdest thing. Like that's actually nothing compared to like, all that we believe. I mean, you just look at the essence of Christianity, it's all supernatural. Like we believe God, the Son, came to earth through a human woman. He became a human, lived on earth, died on the cross, but then rose from the grave. And now he's like reigning and ruling from heaven, still with a physical body somewhere, over all of creation because he created it in the first place. And at one point he's going to come back to destroy Satan, sin, and death for all time and inaugurate his incredible kingdom with a like, physically new earth that's been redeemed and restored. There's all sorts of kind of weird stuff here, you know? You think, you think being married to the same person for your whole life, that's weird? Are you familiar with the lake of fire? <laughs> the, the four horned creatures. Like, we don't need to hide the supernatural parts of our faith. Man, I'm so afraid that Christians right now in churches are doing everything they can to minimize the supernatural elements of Christianity. 
And I, I just don't think that's going to go well in the long run. Most likely, people are still just going to reject God in us either way. We don't need to hide the supernatural stuff. I've used this illustration before, but there was a, an episode of Parks and Rec where there's a group of old guys that every year they get together and they've predicted the end of the world and they need a park reservation for it because they want to watch it. And they're called the reasonableness because it helps them get a park reservation. Like nobody can argue with the reasonableness. And then it doesn't happen. So they, you know, recalculate and they do it over and over and over again. But I'm, I'm so afraid that we can become like that as Christians, that we can try to seem reasonable no matter what, even, even at great cost to ourselves. Why would we hide the amazing power and mercy and love of God? See, prayer is direct communion and communication with the God of the universe, the God who made it all, that redeemed and restored you, that fills you with his very own spirit and empowers you for life in this world. Prayer is a way of of taking our anxiety and trading it for peace, taking our sadness and trading it for, for joy, taking our insecurity and trading it for a radical security in the love of God. Why would we not want that at all times? So pray, pray in the Spirit. Pray in tongues. It doesn't matter what it, what it sounds like to others. It, it's, it's just a form of talking to God. If people hear, man, I, I've heard you're, you're into this weird kind of prayer stuff. It's like, no, this is just normal Christianity. It's been the same for 2,000 years. We've been a supernatural people since the beginning. We're not not living for anyone else but God. And so the purpose of all prayer, but especially the purpose of praying in the Spirit and of tongues, it's intimacy with God through the Spirit. Now here's the last thing. It's it's how do we practice these things? How do we cultivate a more Spirit-filled praying life? And I would say, number one, study this deeply. I mean, really study 1 Corinthians 12 to 14. I've, I've recommended books by Sam Storms before. Understanding the Spiritual Gifts is a great introduction. The Language of Heaven is a great full-length book on praying in tongues. Uh, Sam's kind of a friend and a mentor. He's going to be here in June uh, with us for a weekend. And so if you're a word person, really do the work. Like, use all of those study skills you have to, to lean into what the New Testament says about praying in tongues. Now, number two, be consistent and disciplined in prayer. That might seem kind of counterintuitive because we're talking about the deep, experiential, like almost, almost out-of-mind experience of prayer. But I just don't think that happens without being disciplined and consistent in our prayers. I mean, you need time and you need space to cultivate this kind of prayer. Like you need a physical space in your home and space in your day where you can, where you can be with the Lord and not be distracted by a million other things. It might mean you get up earlier. It might mean if you're married, you're trading off with a spouse. It might mean rearranging things in your schedule. But do whatever you can to, to create a consistent and disciplined routine of prayer. Number three, focus on the love of God. You actually don't want to focus necessarily on on prayer or prayer in the spirit or tongues. We're focusing on the love of the Father. 
If you remember all the way back to the second sermon in this series, we talked about the different roles of the Spirit. The second role of the Spirit that I described is awakening us to the love of the Father. And the more that we look at the love of the Father, especially through the life of Jesus, his his teachings in the Gospels, the narratives, the healings around him, the more we focus on the love of the Father, the more we'll get caught up in prayer in the best way. The Holy Spirit is not is not some weird member of the Trinity that's sneaking out at night and, and getting us to do crazy stuff. Spiritual gifts are a work of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I mean, the first role of the Spirit is to glorify Christ. And so immerse yourself in the love of the Father. Study the Gospels. Immerse yourself in the life of Jesus. The goal of our lives is to be saturated in the love of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Regardless of what it, what it looks like or sounds like to anybody else, that is the goal of life, to be immersed in the love of God. Here's the last thing, number four. Ask the Spirit for the gift of tongues. Just full send mode to quote Kayla from Friday Night Prayer. Just ask for tongues. If you're not currently praying in tongues, I really want to encourage you to seek this. Ask the Lord for this. He may or may not give it. It may or may not come right away. But I want to encourage you, don't forbid speaking in tongues. Don't neglect any of the gifts that God has given to us. If you do pray in tongues, we praise God for you. And I want to encourage you to pray even more. Just double it, triple it. Keep going, grow in this and help the rest of us. Be willing to share with others what that means to you and what that looks like. In community group or wherever it's appropriate, share with us how you've experienced God more deeply through tongues. I just want to encourage us in all of this because why not? This is part of God's character and beings. Like I said the first week, spiritual gifts aren't something other than God himself. They're manifestations of God's character and presence in and through us. I mean, just the word gifts, it's, it's literally a gift. It's a grace. Charis is the word for grace. And that's where charismatic gifts come from. They're little gifts of grace for us. I think too often we can make these ridiculous promises as Christians. Like, I'll, I'll never do that. I'll never be like that. I'll, I'll never share my faith at, at work because I'm, there's risk of, of rejection or losing my job. I'll never raise my hands in worship because I don't want to look like that. I'll never pray in tongues because I don't. And so why do we do that? Why do we promise ourselves that we're not going to do certain things that the Bible either commands or invites us to do? It's a way of remaining in the driver's seat of our lives and limiting what God might do in and through us. I'm really not that worried about this church getting carried away with tongues, just wiling out in community group or something. It's possible. I'm not that worried about it. But what I am worried about, and I've said this over and over, I'm worried about us settling for half of what God's holding out to us. If you're a word person, praise God, eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit. If you're a spirit person, praise God, eagerly study the word of God that the Spirit has inspired. 
but don't settle for half of the Christian life. I think what we're experiencing as a church is exactly what Paul described in 1 Thessalonians 1.5. He said, Our gospel came to you not only with words, but also in power, with full conviction and with the Holy Spirit. The gospel in word and power, conviction and the Holy Spirit. I think that is what the Lord is doing in our midst right now. And listen, we have a real enemy in this world. Like we have someone, the devil, that is actively opposing us at all times. And, and the number one scheme of the enemy, it's not to get you to like give up the faith altogether and start smoking cigarettes or something. <laughs> the number one scheme of the enemy is to keep you lukewarm. It's to keep you lukewarm in your faith. Like, I don't think the devil is that concerned about Christians just going to church and going through the motions and then living like totally like the rest of the world the rest of the week. That's not a threat to the enemy. But, but Christians who really pray, who are, who are seeking God in all of his fullness, that is a threat to the kingdom of darkness. Christians that, that deeply want to pray, a, a hungry Christian is a problem for the kingdom of darkness. But the longer we, we stay in lukewarmness, if we're not cultivating a, a deeper, more vibrant faith and heart for the Lord, it's like the enemy's winning the, the, the little battle, not, not the big one, because we know in the end that he's crushed, you know, lake of fire and all. But he's trying to keep us lukewarm. The Spirit is trying to wake us up over and over and over and reveal the goodness and power and love of the Father to us. And so push back on that lukewarmness at every turn. God knows exactly who you are, exactly what you need. He's the only one that can satisfy the desires of your heart. And so pray in the Spirit. Eagerly desire the gifts. Don't reject the gift of tongues. Don't worry about other people. But seek the Lord, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, with all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your soul, all of your strength. Because he is worth seeking. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so, so much for who you are, for what you are doing in our midst, what you have done long before this to make a way for us. We have not forgotten, Lord Jesus, that it's only by your life, death, and resurrection that any of this is possible. And Lord, as we, as we turn to communion now, would you remind us and would you let your sacrificial love wash over us? the life that you laid down for us, though we were far from God and still in sin, you raise us up to new life. You fill us with your spirit. You call us to something so much better than, than a life of sin or even a life of lukewarmness. Father, would you give us understanding into your word? Would you give us understanding into our own hearts and the, the resistances that we can feel? Would you lead us to a, to a deeper intimacy with you, God, through your Holy Spirit? We pray all this in Jesus' name.
Amen.